RadioInfluence.com. Talent and talent ID, one of our main themes from the 2021 season. And today we are going to put the bookends on that topic with Crush Hall of Famer, Dr. Joe Baker, sports science researcher from York University. Dr. Baker opened the series with us early last year. And it's only right that we go through everything that we've learned in terms of talent and talent identification on today's show to wrap it up and head into 2022 with purpose. I've been looking forward to this show for quite some time. Let's get to it. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. All right, welcome everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and you're listening to Crush Performance, where your weekly source for performance information. If you want to reach out to us, do so. Crush Performance is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the all-important email. Listen, you guys drive the show. Your questions, your comments, your smart remarks. We love them all, and we answer every single message we get. Plus, if you have a question or if you need some help with something, it's a program or it's an athlete you're working with, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, uh, if you're an athlete, we get questions from every area of the sport performance and athlete development world. And as much as we pride ourselves in getting you guys thinking about things you might not be thinking about, those questions that you send us really get us thinking too. And it also drives the content of the show. So if you have something you want us to investigate, if you want to hear us discuss something, let us know. Because as we head into 2022, uh, as we mentioned last week on that incredible show with the zone coach, Jim Fannin, our theme this year is going to be organizational and team performance, which just rolls right off of last year's themes of talent, talent ID, and the crush brain game. We'll talk more about those for sure, but they've really set the table for this year's theme, and I cannot wait to get into it. But before we do, listen, we have got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And I think we just need a little bit of closure. At least I feel like we need a little bit of closure on last year's themes. So this week and next week, we're going to dedicate to Talent talent ID today with Dr. Joe Baker. Next week, we're going to wrap up and put the bookends on the Crush Brain Game with Dr. Morazic, who, who opened up that conversation with us in 2021. And these two shows are going to lead us right into the blockbuster launch of our organizational and team performance uh, show uh, episode, our, our first episode on that topic which I'm going to announce next week. I'll let you know who the guest is going to be and what the topic's going to be. But I honestly, as much as I can't wait for today's show and conversation with Dr. Baker and next week with Dr. Morazic, our kickoff to organizational and team performance, I just can't imagine a better way to do it. I really can't. I'm so excited about it myself and I'm excited for you. I hope you guys are feeling it as well. Um, and again, going into 2022, don't fret. The crush war on sugar will continue. We'll be deep diving into the latest research on nutrition and we'll be looking at sleep and also coming out of our mailbag. A lot of questions wanting me to get back to the basics. You know, my background for everybody who might be new to the show is in strength and conditioning and athlete development, the applied physiology side. And that's something that we don't really talk about a lot on the show. And it's probably because it's so layered and it's just so complex. But we've got a ton of emails asking us to talk about strength and speed development 
and also movement and agility. You know, some of our, our hardcore fundamentals for athlete development. Let's do it, everybody. I'm all in on that. So look forward to that this season as well. But before we get into any of that, let's put the bookends on 2021. Our next Crush Partner has a product that's become part of my daily routine, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I was looking for something to help boost my immune system, boost energy, and help support recovery. I'm taking it every day, it's easy to use, and it tastes real. It has a fresh, tropical kind of taste that I really like. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. In our athlete performance programs, sleep recovery and nutrition are top priorities. Athletic Greens not only supports better sleep quality and recovery, it also supports mental clarity and alertness, which is not only good for our athletes, it's great for everyone. AG1 is a small microhabit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. In fact, Athletic Greens was created after the founder experienced just how difficult it is to create an optimal nutrition program on your own. Athletic Greens is cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. It's like you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance plan. And on top of all this, for every purchase, a donation is made to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry in the U.S. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we head into the cold and flu season. And right now, I've got an incredible deal for you. For all you crushers out there, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com crush. That's athleticgreens.com backslash crush with a K and take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. So order now. That's athleticgreens.com backslash crush with a K. Get yours right now. And when you do, just a heads up, you're going to need a smaller cabinet. Go to athleticgreens.com backslash crush and sign up now. The two major themes again, talent and talent ID and the guest. Listen, those shows you can go back and listen to. We've got them on the new website. Uh, we've got them compartmentalized. You can go back and listen to every episode on each of those topics. Some of the best minds in the world. Just very, very humble to have those people on Crush Performance. But their willingness to share is also just incredible to me. Like the, 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 the information that we've been able to tap into here on our, our humble little Crush Performance show is just, it is really knocking down the doors on human performance. And we're humbled by it. But boy, oh boy, I tell you. You know, the numbers are growing. Our audience is growing. And, and we have to thank you guys, the hardcore crushers who've been with us for over 16 years for hanging in there and, and guiding us along together as a team. Um, but let's put the bookends on last year. Talent and talent ID. Without further ado, Dr. Joe Baker, welcome back to Crush Performance as we wrap up our 2021 theme of talent and talent ID. So great to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, listen, we kicked it off with you way back last uh, January. And what I thought we'd do here is just go through some of the incredible guests and some of the talking points that really resonated with our audience and some of the interesting concepts that have come up, uh, come up over the year. 
Uh, but I wanted to start with this. Going back to the very first discussion, one of the things that I think really set the tone for this entire season of information sharing was your comment on talent and where we are in terms of our understanding of talent. And one of the things that came out of that incredible conversation, Dr. Baker, was this whole idea that we really don't yet have a consensus on what talent actually is. And without that clear starting point, it's really, really difficult to move forward with purpose. Maybe we could revisit that and just maybe refresh everybody's memories and, and maybe see if we've made any progress over this last year. What do you, what do you think about that? Sure. That sounds, that sounds like a great place to start. And if anything, I think over the last year, um, my, my uh, interest in this, this definition of what talent is, uh, if anything, we've sort of doubled down on the importance of that, of that, as the foundation for these kinds of discussions, because the more we talk to people in the field, you know, we talk to 10 people and we get 10 different definitions and from a measure, like from a basic measurement identification standpoint, if we can't agree on what this thing is that we're searching for, then how can we ever measure it? How can we ever measure it validly? How can we ever measure it reliably? How can we ever measure it accurately? And so, you know, every other card in this house of cards falls apart when you don't have that definition part consistent. And the more we've tried to peel back the layers of this onion, the more inconsistencies and confusion and just sort of head scratching uh, we're seeing behind the behind the surface. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And maybe uh, that's due to the fact that it might not be as simple as we might first imagine it to be. And one of the other things that we talked about last January, and and I've heard you speak uh, speak about it a couple times over the course of this year at different presentations, is the fact that that definition of talent might change with the progression and development and level of athletes we're working with, which kind of makes sense with to me as well. Uh, but I think we still do need that that overall sort of umbrella definition. Do you, does that kind of resonate with you? It does. And I think maybe the, you know, the core of the whole problem is the use of the word talent. And uh, uh, because, uh, because to uh, scientists and researchers, talent is, uh, is an innate uh, thing, you know, it, it's different from skill. It's different from performance. And so, you know, on, on, you're born on day one, you have a certain talent and predisposition to how your life's going to work out. And some of that might be more or less relevant to sport. But on day two, your biological raw material is now confused with your experience base that you've had uh, in your life. And so as we move into when athlete selection is happening, we're getting this really convoluted relationship between a person's biological predispositions, which we would call talent and their experience base. Uh, and we're never able to settle uh, to separate those things. And so, you know, the, the idea of talent is this idea that you can take somebody and look at them and say, this is your potential. And maybe you could have done that on day one of their lifespan, but anytime after that point, it gets more and more convoluted and complicated and confusing. And so maybe the thing that we need to do is, is, agree that talent is a thing that people are going to be differently disposed to success in different areas, but we're never going to be able to measure it the way we think we can. And so let's get rid of it. Let's, let's look at athletes instead of talent and say, this is an athlete that's better suited to thrive in a high performance system. Let's not look at them as if their uh, talent is something that's fixed, but it's them as a, you know, a, a biological, psychological, social person 
is something that needs to be developed? And do we have a system that's going to be capable of developing that person? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Bravo, I think, is my first thing that comes to mind here. That that would really solve a lot of problems, especially when we look at some of the issues we're facing in our youth development models. Right. Everybody's so focused in on being these high top performers as nine year olds and 10 year olds rather than, you know, maybe looking at the full spectrum in the long term sort of process that it takes to really, really achieve, you know, uh, an athlete's dreams. And, and, and by eliminating talent, that is uh, potentially a brilliant move. I love this concept. Well, and it's, you know, it, it is the thing that sort of fits with what all the evidence tells us, right? Like the, the progression rates and the conversion rates that we see between people who are junior national champions and who goes on to, to be world champions at the open adult level the conversion rates are amazingly low um, and the accuracy rates that we see in, you know, draft selection and talent, uh, uh, talent selection exercises, those accuracy rates are pretty low. And so one way that we could explain all of that is we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're, we're not, it's not talent identification. We need to be looking at these athletes, not as if their potential is fixed, but that maybe these things that they're doing right now are indicators of how well they might develop in that system in the future. And so how do we create that system so that it would allow them to thrive and continue to develop? Yeah. And that system would have to be well thought out because there's, as you mentioned, so many variables involved here through time. You know, one experience could send you down a different path, depending on how maybe the athlete perceives maybe a coaching cue or maybe an experience in competition or maybe a breakthrough in practice. These can really change the overall projection of an athlete's development. And, and so there's so many variable variables involved here. Talent's truly a moving target. If we're going to use that sort of talent sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, tag to, to what it's all about. Yeah. And I think the reason we're trying to get people to, um, move away from talent is not because we think that there, that it doesn't exist. I, th- I think it does. I think we're bad at measuring it, but, the reason we're trying to get people to move away from it is because of the baggage that's associated with that word. And because people don't define it the same way, um, that baggage isn't helpful. And so um, most people think of talent as, as something that's relatively fixed. And when you think about your athletes, your nine-year-old, your 10-year-old, and you're thinking about them in terms of talent, well, you're thinking about them as fixed. And that's not a good approach to their long-term development and their coaching. Right. No, it makes so much sense. We're talking with Dr. Joe Baker, sports science researcher from York University. Well, let's talk about this. Um, on this very day, your one of your posts on Twitter, which is a fantastic follow for everybody, um, a predicting seasonal performance in professional sport, a 30-year analysis of sport illustrated predictions. And this whole study is actually a fascinating read, but it goes in just in general, in, in, in a general co- a concept to look at all of the predictions made over time and how we really haven't improved, which is funny because isn't that we're all what, what humans are all about somehow improving? We had uh, an incredible discussion last year with Dr. Uh, Lou Farah, uh, sport researcher also at, at York University there and his work on draft and especially in the NHL and how I don't want to say incompetent we are, but how we that process really hasn't been refined to the point where where we can be satisfied with the outcomes. It was an incredible conversation. And that uh, article that you posted here is also a great read. Yeah, thanks. That was a, and, and this is a project that Lou was also involved in, but it was a, just a really fun 
exploration of these the sorts of trends and prediction accuracy over time. Because one of the things that we're, um, we really struggle with when we try to understand the accuracy of people's predictions is we don't have these sort of long-term databases that we can rely on to look at, well, how well did it turn out for them and how accurate was the prediction that they made? And so this Sports Illustrated one, although it's, you know, it kind of started as a lark with Justine Jones, one of the undergrad students that was working in our lab. I think there's something really important here when you look at it and you you try to understand, well, why aren't we getting better? You know, 30 years is, that's the start of the analytics revolution in professional sport. And so what we're essentially saying is the analytics revolution had no impact on the accuracy of those kinds of predictions, which is not a trivial thing to say, right? Right. Yeah. No, it's not a trivial thing to say. And I think you're right. There's a lot we can we can learn from here. But it goes back to that discussion about, you know, maybe we're looking at the wrong things. This is, you know, when I when I when I put this all into context, it really does lead to the thought process that we really need to reevaluate what exactly it is we're trying to predict or analyze in hopes of predicting future performance, which is, again, that moving target that's virtually almost impossible. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where we landed in that paper in some of the discussions that we're doing in our research group is, there, you know, there's the one conclusion, which is we're looking at the wrong thing, or the, the second conclusion is this thing that we're trying to predict is so complex and, and right. intricate that our accuracy is, this is the best we're ever going to get because it's just too dynamic, too complex, too nonlinear, whatever whatever it is, I think it's probably a combination of both of those things. And that's kind of what Lou's work would suggest is that, you know, there are sunk cost effects that we see in the, in the way that um, organizations make decisions. So that's a flaw. That's something we can fix. But even if we fix it, I think there's probably an upper limit in terms of how accurate we're ever going to be able to predict these kinds of complex dynamic outcomes. Yeah. Dr. Baker, that being said, uh, it kind of makes sense to me that we might want to be paying more attention to, again, what we've talked about and discussed here today already is the process. What do we do with these talented athletes that have maybe the wherewithal and the ambition to move forward in sport to see how far they can actually go? Because, listen, we know this for a fact. We don't really know how good an athlete can become until they've gone through a process, what that process is might be different for each athlete. Maybe it varies sport to sport, but there has to be a process here. Does it make sense then to, instead of, you know, maybe, maybe using this evaluation tool, like the draft or these player evaluations or talent ID camps, maybe to more look at, Hey, okay, here's where the athlete is now. Here's their ambitions, goals, and dreams. And here's a system that might really, really contribute to help them being successful. Does that make sense to you? It does, and I think that's what we're uh, we're working towards with some of the initiatives that we have happening in the lab right now. Is this moving away from, especially in professional sport, where players get drafted, and then once they're drafted, they're kind of, um, you know, they're put into a system without thinking about is this the right person to put in this type of system. The, the assumption is that everybody drafted into a you know a major league baseball team or a NHL team or whatever the systems are going to be equally capable of developing that specific person. Well, no, that's not true. Systems have different strengths. You know, it's better to develop a certain type of player in Texas than it is in in Toronto, or it's better to play a certain 
or develop a certain type of, of this type of player in the United States versus Canada. And so like we need to be recognizing that systems have different strengths and weaknesses and get away from this sort of what they call the golden rule of the draft, which is you always take the most of uh, the most capable player that's on the board uh, for your draft selection, regardless of whether you need a pitcher, if the greatest pitcher is still available, you take him. I think that's I think that's a flaw in the way that draft psychology works. I think you should take the player that's going to be best developed in your system and oh, that yeah. recognize it that there's still a level of development that needs to occur. That person's potential isn't fixed as soon as you draft them. Oh yeah, no, I love there's such great opportunities you know this is kind of like that there's been like this itch that i've had in 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 a sort of a higher end sports you know you could probably start this conversation at like elite high school or even junior high high school varsity teams and you know high school academies now and elite uh rep programs moving right up to the pros this is a beautiful conversation that really puts context into maybe the ideas of why why some of these players who are so great and drafted when they're young just don't succeed or prosper in different systems. And, and I think this is a huge, huge opportunity for those organizations that can actually get their head around this, whatever, whatever that looks like. Right. Uh, but boy, oh boy, what an opportunity there is here uh, for the people to get on the front side of that wave. Well, and, 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 you know, for thinking about it, it probably still comes back to this idea of talent. When we draft people, you know, you draft that 18 year old uh, pitcher coming out of high school that looks like a superstar. You think that that potential is fixed and you, you look at that player in a different way than you would if you thought, well, no, here's an 18 year old that I need to spend three, five, uh, you know, seven years in my system developing to get the payoff in terms of their potential that they're demonstrating at this moment. And so you look at that person as a development problem as opposed to a prediction problem. And I think that distinction is actually really important. Yeah, that is such a great perspective. You know, I think we've sort of lost our way in, to some degree here when we look at the way we've gone about developing and trying to figure out how we go about helping athletes achieve you know, their goals in sport. And I just like the idea of problem solving. That's kind of what the show has been all about and the way we've approached all of our programs. So that definitely resonates with me. Uh, great, great stuff. Hey, everybody, lots more to come. We have to cut out for a quick break. But when we come back, lots more with Dr. Joe Baker as we wrap up the Crush Talent and Talent ID conversation right here on Crush Performance. Stick around. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you in part by Inside Tracker. When you do what you love, like running, like racing, like enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life, and Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. I've been lucky enough to spend over 30 years working in the world of high performance sport, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's that no two athletes are the same. So when we're building our performance programs, we attack the individual and we always work from the inside out because change, it's an inside job. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. And using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you. And then it offers you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. But it's confusing out there. There is a barrage of bias, misleading, and personal information that creates doubt and confusion. And that's exactly where Inside Tracker comes in. 
It's the only human performance system that integrates real-time physio marker data from your fitness tracker with your existing blood and DNA biomarker data. We don't merely show you the normal biomarker zones, we show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your body. In sport, time is of the essence, and there's not a second to lose. It's another reason we love Inside Tracker. Track your progress and make meaningful adjustments based on real time feedback from your body. Listen, as your body improves, your biomarkers change too. Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way for better performance and better health. And I really want this for you, your family, and your athletes. So here's what we've got. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash crush. That's insidetracker.com backslash crush with a K and get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Discover your body's potential with Inside Tracker because what's inside is what counts. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, if you want to follow us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all other social media. Check us out at CrushPerformance.com. All right, we're putting the bookends on our 2021 theme of talent and talent ID with Dr. Joe Baker, sports science researcher from York University. Uh, Dr. Baker, fantastic conversation here. And, you know, if we talk about the ebb and flow of our year here as we looked at and did a deep dive into talent and talent ID, this conversation of process and development and systems really does resonate with a conversation we have with Dr. Nima Deganzai, uh, currently with the Paralympics in Australia, but he's an athlete development and talent ID specialist who just really, really shed some light on this whole idea of pathways and talent. Again, great discussions there, but we talked about what is skill and what is skill versus talent development. And that was one of the very interesting uh, concepts that came out of the conversation with Dr. Deganzai is this idea of skill development versus talent development. And he really split that up and, and, and shed some light on that area of this conversation as well, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I think Nima's real strength is that, um, you know, that understanding of skill acquisition as a process. And, the, and I think the more we get people trained in that science of human learning, science of how, how we best create environments for people to acquire skills, uh, it's going to be a different type of sports science strength that we see emerge. Uh, it's emerging in the world already in Australia. Uh, the UK has some uh, specialists. We're not seeing it as much in Canada, but it's just a matter of time before we think about skill acquisition specialists the same way we think about physiologists or, or uh, nutritionists. They're just one of the people that we need to have on the team to really maximize an athlete's development. Yeah, I really do feel that is a position that will connect some dots that just aren't being connected right now, especially when we go back to our conversation we just had about organizational performance, a player being drafted into the NHL or the NFL. Well, NFL is a little different because, you know, those players are coming out of college pretty much ready to go, mm -hmm. right? There's still development to be had there, but the NHL has a developmental model. The Major League Baseball has one of maybe the best ones in, in professional sport. NBA, 
you know, with the developmental leagues, there's a developmental model there. But but I think, um, you know, when we talk about uh, that skill development versus talent development, we can really connect the dots between that performance team, as you mentioned, like the strength coaches, the physiologists, nutritionists, the mental training coaches and the technical tactical skill coaches. Wow. What an opportunity there. Yeah. And I think, the you know, the reason we try to emphasize this the skill acquisition specialist role as being a real opportunity for improvement in the system is um, that person, their, their training, it forces them to take a systems approach. And so, you know, the, the oftentimes in a system, you have the nutritionist who's working, who's got goals that are working counter to the strength and conditioning person who needs, you know, you can't be on this kind of diet because I need you to up your protein because we're in a muscle building phase, which is working contrary to what the coach is doing with a high training load phase. And so, you know, the skill acquisition specialist looks at that problem in terms of these are all the people that are working in the system and how do I get them to work in concert so that we're maximizing the potential for skill development, whatever that skill is, how do we maximize the potential for that development by getting all of the people in the system to row the same direction. Uh, like an orchestra. Think about it. A band, an orchestra, yeah. everybody in the orchestra coming together to to uh, make beautiful music, right? Absolutely. But it, it does sort of emphasize the complexity of the problem. Now we have to, each one of those people is an orchestra member for a different athlete. So, you know, the, the, the development models and things are nice because they suggest that this pathway is a nice streamlined, sort of smooth, continuous process. But anybody who's worked in the system knows that that's not true. It isn't smooth and continuous. It's erratic. It's unpredictable. It's chaotic. So we actually need to have separate orchestras for every person. Yeah. Wow. Right. Great, great. I great thought right there. And that kind of flows into the other real cool conversation we have with Dr. Dugonzai was this whole idea of developmental timelines. Now you and I have talked about this previously and we've heard many many conversations in this uh, talent and sporting world about developmental timelines and the concept of critical periods and it's really under fire right now um some we've we've seen researchers from the uk and in holland in particular really shoot down this idea of critical periods and you know i understand where they're coming from it's not the same for everybody but athletes do mature through a timeline both physiologically in terms of and also in terms of their technical, tactical development, depending on on what they're exposed to. But this is another really interesting conversation in the talent and talent idea uh, conversation. It is, and I think it's one that we we need to revisit with uh, a 21st century understanding of human development, right? Because the critical periods idea came out of the 1980s, 1990s, sort of um, the need for specialized training, the need for certain types of training early in development. And I think there's a lot of that sort of approach that's been uh, disproven or, or unsupported. The idea that there's windows that close, I think, um, uh, you know, that a lot of that has been discounted. The focus now is on how do we maximize uh, a person's potential to develop these skills for as long as possible, which is kind of a different sort of thing. But I think we need to look at these windows of trainability from the opposite perspective, because, you know, if we think about how the brain develops, and this has been the focus of the, of the podcast for the past year, if we look at brain development, yep. the brain develops in a certain sequence where it's not appropriate to start certain types of training until we see that brain development. So it's not about windows closing. It's, a, it's more about windows opening. And so 
at what point is it okay to start to emphasize abstract reasoning in a developing child? Well, we don't do that before 10 or 11 because the brain isn't capable of handling those concepts. Okay, well, that changes the way we focus. Um, what about cause and effect? What about the relationship between I, if I train hard today, I'm going to get the payoff 10 years from now? Well, let's a 10-year-old's not going to understand that time span. So it forces us to reevaluate the way we do things. It might not change the way that we actually coach, but it'll change the way that we frame it to the athlete. Yeah, and I like that. Well, listen, you just reframed it right here. Uh, Just by simply saying it's not so much a window closing as much as it is a, a window opening, that frame up right there, that change in context really can change the outlook of what we're trying to accomplish. So, so that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think that's all powerful. And especially when it comes to helping our coaches understand their role in the continuum. And that's the other thing that's been a constant here with all these incredible guests we had over the year is just a a real cry out for more collaboration through the coaching ranks from the high, older, you know, higher developed levels right down to grassroots. And I think that's a strong message to send as well. Yeah. And I think part of that is the the way we have that conversation, right? Because we need to engage the long-term coaches that have been doing this for decades and we got to do it in a way that's not threatening to the way that they've always done things. And so, you know, when you put them on the, on their back feet by saying, well, you know, you're a, you're a villain because you've been, you've been assuming that we can't develop this later on and ha ha, here's the research that says that we can. Well, what you've done is you've just, disengage them from being from wanting to be part of the conversation and i think that's a that's a failure of the science system when we do that and so how do we engage them it's by here's how we can help you be become a better coach here's how we can uh look at the things that you've always done from a perspective of what you what can you teach us while we're teaching you and so it becomes a a community and a, and a collaboration as opposed to a us versus them yeah no, and that whole idea of community, I think, is such an important uh, factor in this sporting world if we're going to be successful and turn this slow ship around. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Joe Baker, a sports science researcher from York University, crush all-time favorite. And, uh, of course, Dr. Baker opened our conversation back in January in our 2021 theme of Talent and Talent ID. And we're wrapping it up. It's not going to stop for sure, but we're putting the bookend here for 2021. Uh, 2022, Dr. Baker, we're going to be focusing on how all of this talk about talent and talent ID and the crush brain game and brain development, which you mentioned there, which is so important. It really comes together here as we wrap up this year and we head into 2022. We'll be looking at organizational and team performance. You know, how do we put this all together? And there's a lot of weight here on the coaches, as you said, and that collaboration is going to be important. One of the things that uh, Dr. DeGonzai actually mentioned, we had a great conversation uh, when he was on the show, uh, just sort of, you know, uh, expanding on those critical periods and developmental timelines. One of the things we really discussed that was interesting was the fact of players entering the system at a, at a later time in their development, coming in late, so to speak, or or uh, coming in at a more developed level. Let's say an athlete entering baseball when they're, 14 rather than when they're nine or hockey when they're you know 13 rather than when they're four it was a great conversation and that that can be a challenge inside of a system right yeah it can and we're seeing this with um you know the repercussions for initiatives like talent transfer where they try to get athletes that are um you know further along in their development 
uh, and then transferring them into a sport that they might be less familiar with, which on the surface sounds like a simple thing. You just take this person who might have a core of skills in one area and you put them into a system and try to develop their skills in another. Um, and we're all aware of the sort of multi-sport athletes that have been able to do that successfully. But I think it really suggests that a, the process is more simple than it actually is. And if you think about it in terms of uh, just human motivation and, and why would you want to do something? Uh, you put something, you know, you take somebody 13, 14 years old and you put them in a new domain where they don't have that feeling of competency, that that motivation, that success. Uh, we don't really understand what kind of environment we need to create for that person so that they don't just say, well, this this sucks. I'm not doing this. Right, right. Yeah, totally. Well, And again, you know, with that being said, I am continually and endlessly surprised at how resilient and and um um how uh, adaptable you know young athletes are when they get into a positive environment i think that might be one of the key factors yeah and i think you know part of it is uh if we use basic models of motivation like self-determination theory well uh, self-determination theory is based on the idea that we have three basic needs that drive our behavior and only one of those is competency. And so we can get people to stay engaged if we focus on uh, social connection, if we focus on them kind of feeling like they're in control of their own uh, destiny and development. Well, then we just design an environment that focuses on those things instead of competency and let competency build itself. Right. Right. It's this, this recognition that, hey, there's there's multiple things we can, there's multiple boxes we can be ticking here to make sure that the athlete's getting what they need in order for them to stay involved because staying involved is going to lead to our long-term development of competency and, and performance. Hey, Dr. Baker, do you think it's fair to say that if we were to sort of take a, you know, a 30,000 foot view of our developmental system, we're talking youth sport, developmental sport here, not so much the elite guys who are sort of honed in on, on, you know, you know, learning how to compete and win, but Overall, in the big picture, uh, I think we might be spending a little too much time focusing on outcomes and winning, perhaps, or or numbers. And again, maybe this um, analytical age is is laying sort of heed to that. But but would that be fair to say? Do you think? I think it is, and it's uh, it's also one of the things we've been wrestling with in the lab. Is um, you know we have a high performance system that um, really emphasizes the engagement at the highest level you know even throughout the development system even for you know young kids if you're not playing at the triple a level then you know why bother and i think that that message is really damaging to the long long-term sustainability of our system because there's only a small fraction of the people that are ever going to make it to you know let's use hockey as an example that are ever going to make it to the nhl but every person that makes it to the nhl's probably requires thousands if not maybe tens of thousands of people to support the system that's going to develop them. And right now we focus on the individual without focusing on the support system that needs to be surrounding that person in order to get that long-term payoff just in a single person. Uh, and right now we don't, we don't recognize that, you know, I need to have depth in my house system because that house system is going to progress people to the next level, which is going to progress people to the next. And, and those people are eventually going to be the almost elite competitors that that future elite person needs to develop their skill against. Uh, they don't develop in a vacuum and we're looking at it as if they do. Right. Oh, my goodness. And that boy, boy, that is music. You are preaching to the choir right here, mister. I'm telling you right now, 
that resonates to me like a Christmas carol um, uh, through the holidays here because um, um, I, I think I, I we're seeing this firsthand. This whole idea of you know, focusing on the athlete but supporting the system and the people around them that is a just a great again change of context and how we're looking at the system. Just brilliant stuff, and I think. Dr. Baker, that is very doable. I guess maybe it just takes conversations to get that kind of mindset going. Yeah, I think so. And if you, you know, if you, if one of the things that we've struggled to do is link the high performance, um, you know, the funding for high performance sport and what high performance sport needs, uh, means in our culture to some of the bigger social problems that we have around physical inactivity and obesity. And I think there's, potentially a link between this emphasis on high performance sport as being the most valued kind of sport and some of these social problems. Because, you know, if you think about that 13 year old who developed to a certain extent and then was cut from their system, we don't, we don't think about what that, um, you know, that cut means to that person and their interest in sport over the long term. If we thought about that and, and, and it's, particularly if we thought about it in terms of how inaccurate our selection decisions are, we treat that person in a different way. If we thought about, Hey, I don't, I I want this person uh, to leave the team because I don't have the resources to support them, but I want them to be still in love with soccer. I want them to play soccer for the next 30 years in their local league. I want them to show up at games. I want them to buy jerseys. I want them to donate for raffles and team drives and all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that we need for sustainability in our long-term system. And when we focus just on the development of that single high performer and what they need, I think that's great in the short term, but we're going to pay for that long term. Yeah. And I think we're paying for that right now. I really, really do believe, and I've often said this, and frankly, it's going to take conversations like this to happen time and time again until we start course correcting all of this. So, all right, everybody, we have to cut up for a quick break. Lots more to come with Dr. Joe Baker as we wrap up our talent and talent ID conversation right here on Crush Performance. Stick around. This is Crush Performance. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, write to us at crushperformance.com. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. As we wrap up our conversation on talent and talent ID with Dr. Joe Baker, sports science researcher from York University. Hey, if you have any questions or if you're looking for some help, do not hesitate to reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Dr. Baker, thanks for hanging on over the break. I wonder if you would agree with me here, Dr. Baker. I say this quite often and not in a joking manner. Quite seriously, I say, you know, I really do wonder if we're seeing the greatest talent playing at the higher levels, or if we're just seeing the survivors of uh, an incredibly dysfunctional system, I, I, I got this feeling, and I think I've seen it firsthand, that some of the potential great performers, um, you know, if they were to go through the system and stay in the system, would, would probably raise the level of sport at the higher end. I think we're, we're really missing out on a lot of great talent for that very reason you're talking about. Yeah, it's a tough one to know because um, the system isn't designed, you know, from a a scientific standpoint, the system's not designed for us to ever know the answer to that question because they they're not put in a parallel system where we can see how well they could have been. And so um, I think you're right, though, there's there's a certain type of person that we're we're selecting for that is going to be able to thrive in this really specific system that we've created. But I think we'd be foolish to think this is the best system for developing athletes. And these are the best people that are in the system uh, for long-term potential. I think that would be, uh, I think we're, um, 
we're at a point where I, we don't want to make that conclusion either. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair, fair enough. Fair enough for sure. You know, one of the key components of any uh, sporting system or developmental model are the mentors, the coaches, the teachers. Um, and, and we've had some incredible conversations over the course of this year. And one of the really, really interesting ones, Dr. Baker uh, was with Dr. Alex Roberts, a sport and science um, uh, a doctor of sport science, uh, exercise science and sport coaching at Latrobe University in the Department of Dietetics, Nutrition and Sport uh, in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, just a fascinating uh, conversation about her work regarding the coach's eye and the coaching bias. And I think we had a huge, huge response to this conversation, Dr. Baker, because I think it resonated with a lot of people. And I also think a lot of people thinking back on their coaching experiences, either as an athlete or as a coach, came to realize that, hey, they might have one of those biases without even knowing it. What a fantastic, powerful conversation that was. Yeah, Alex is doing some really amazing, amazing work. And uh, it's exciting to see the work that's coming out of her uh, research group at Latrobe. And I think that work in particular sort of fits with some of the things that we're doing in, in our lab at York, which is trying to understand these sorts of biases in the system, whether those are system biases like the relative age effect or the birthplace effect, but all going all the way down to specific stakeholders in the system, like coaches, like managers, like even athletes that might have biases themselves that affect the way that decisions are made or long-term uh, potential is, you know, whether we see the payoff. Well, it really got me thinking about a bunch of different things. And also it had me self-reflecting <laughs> And Rock and I losing a little bit of sleep too. And I really did start thinking. I said, Am I open minded enough for the athletes that I engage with and the teams and organizations I engage with? It was a true, true exercise of self reflection that was all powerful. And to think again, uh, for everybody who hadn't has not heard that episode, it's worthy of going back to listen to it. But uh, the whole coach's eye theory was explore, exploring coaching decision making during talent identification and this idea that. Coaches, because of their personal strengths in coaching, might select athletes they feel uh, they can help more. And then maybe disregarding athletes that don't quite resonate with their coaching style or their coaching strengths. Again, going back to that argument that we might be losing a lot of great talent at certain levels. What a fascinating conversation and a can of worms at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely a can of worms. And, and to make that can of worms even more you know, messy and complicated. We have to remember that um, you know the, the the potential there is not always that the coach is going to be biased in a negative way. It could right. be biased that's in a positive way. That there's a reason they're coaching. There's a reason that they've had success, and part of that could be the fact that they're biased and they make shortcuts in the way that they process information. That's uh, another spin on that research is we've got to be really careful not to assume that all bias is bad and that coaches are implicitly uh, affecting the decisions in a negative way. They could be doing it in a positive way, but it does emphasize the need for us to really understand that process better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's one of those other ones too, that is very, it's like an onion. You're going to have to peel back the layers one at a time here to get to the core. And then you're going to have to try to rebuild it again, but you're right. There are both positive and negative biases here. And so, and again, you know, with, with this whole year that we've been looking at talent, town research, you know, there's, there's so much positive things, so many positive things being discussed and being done out there, Dr. Baker. So, you know, as we sort of went through this, we're look, we kind of were digging at, hey, where are the problem areas that we might be able to work on to get better, just as we would anything else in, 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 in performance or human development. 
And I think we've really, really accomplished that. We've dug up some incredible concepts. We've talked about some, you know, incredible theories, and we've come up with some ideas that we might uh, focus on as we move forward. That being said, with all these great conversations we've had over the years or over this year and great engagements with all these experts, um, I think we're at kind of a cool place, Dr. Baker. Would it be fair to say the fact that we're questioning these things, the fact that these discussions are going on. And when we look at the research, like the one you shared here about, you know, 30, a 30 year analysis of Sports Illustrated predictions, try to break that down to move forward in the right direction. It's kind of a very exciting time in sport and, and, and human development. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, you know, I was I was reflecting as we were having this conversation uh, because you mentioned about me being the bookend between you know January and this and this talk uh, now in December. Uh, and I thought you know I'm probably the worst guy to have as a bookend <laughs> because if anything, I've got more questions now and less solutions than I had January. And so uh, you know, I think we've had great conversations and obviously great discussions on the podcast and stuff. But I don't know whether we've gotten to a place where we can resolve anything other than to say wow this is way more complex than it gets credit for and coaches jobs are way more difficult than we assumed they were uh, and so if anything else it's kind of a call to arms to provide them with more support and and more understanding than than maybe we were doing in the past right and much like athlete development and we kind of I think referred to this you know early on in our conversation today a new experience for an athlete sets them up to attack experiences they probably couldn't handle previously. And, and, you know, <laughs> to your note, uh, sitting here on my, on my little cork board in front of my computer, I have this little piece of paper that's been there for years. It says what I don't know could fill a warehouse because <laughs> like you, what I learned early on is as I start digging into all of this stuff, I realize how much more there is to know. And it takes that massive community of knowledge, uh, people like yourself and all the great guests we've had to really start connecting the dots here. And that's truly what it's all about. So I guess if nothing else, maybe we've gotten ourselves to a point here collectively you know, as a society and as a research, you know, group um, where we can start maybe asking different questions that maybe we didn't ask before or or maybe we couldn't ask before because we, we didn't have the base knowledge. Hopefully that's where we're at. Uh, right. And I think that engages um, all elements of the system. And then what it requires is all elements to sort of acknowledge that collectively their group doesn't have the answer that we need. We need to know what coaches are thinking. We need to know what researchers are thinking. We need questions that are provoked by, you know, podcasters like yourselves. We need, uh, we need to have all of those people as part of the discussion so that we can attack some of these taboos like talent and, uh, and, and really challenge, you know, why do you do it that way? Why do we have a system that's structured in this way so that when kids enter the system, uh, at an early age, it's harder for a kid to enter the system at a later age. Why have we designed a whole sports program with that kind of system in mind? Um, and not from a, you know, outside the glass house throwing stones at it, but why do we do that? And it might be a resource issue. It might be the fact that there's sport is a resource limited system. And so, yeah, we'd love to have every kid involved for as much as they want to be involved, but we don't have the coaches for that. We don't have the facilities for that. So we need to be ready to have those kinds of honest discussions. And, um, and I think that it requires a degree of honesty and empathy from the people around the table that we don't often see in these kinds of discussions. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. True enough. As we head into 2022, Dr. Baker, 
And with all the great discussions we've had over this year and, you know, with everything you just mentioned there, as we get set for 2022, you know, the new year is kind of always an exciting time for everybody, uh, whether you take heed to it or not. It's it's kind of like a, a new beginning or at least a transition time in a season um, as we head into a new year. With everything that we now know, um, moving forward with confidence, I think people are, you know, trying to do the best they can. Um, in your opinion, if you were talking to our audience, which is coaches, parents, athletes out there at all different levels of sport all around the world, by the way, um, as we head into 2022 in sort of a closing sort of remark for talent and talent ID, our, our theme for 2021 here, what would be your words of wisdom heading into 2022 if you could sort of sum it up? And I know that's a tall task I'm throwing at you here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, thanks a lot for that. Um, I guess the you know I can go back to a discussion that we had with the professional team this year, which uh, was around um, how they approach the talent uh, identification or athlete identification and development issue. And the advice that we gave to them was uh, because of this potential for bias, because of the inaccuracies that we see in the system, and the you know the problems that we have with making selection decisions, and the consequences of those decisions on the athletes. If you make a bad decision, what, the approach that we've taken with them is every everything stays on the board uh, as a, a variable that we're interested in until there's a reason to draw a line through it. And so I think right now we have lines drawn through things where we don't have evidence to back it up which reflects our bias, which reflects, um, you know, our training uh, and the evidence and the research is pretty clear. We don't have a lot of evidence to draw lines through variables yet. And so uh, let's not do it. Let's keep everything on there until we get a better understanding of our system, of ourselves, of the athletes. Um, and, you know, because that emphasizes how far we have to go, but it also empowers us with the tools to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping people in sport. What a great priority and a goal that would be for sure. Dr. Baker, listen, I have to thank you uh, from everybody here at Crush Performance and all of our audience as well. You were a key, key part of this entire season, hooking us up with some of these great guests and, of course, allowing us to tap into your knowledge base and all the great work you and your group are doing there at York University. Listen, thank you so much for everything this year. This is not the end of the conversation. I can guarantee that. But I want to thank you with all of our might for all of your input, your connections and all of your sharing of information over this last year. It's been just tremendous. Really, really appreciate it, Dr. Baker. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, same to you. And I look forward to, uh, you know, more of these conversations in the future. Well, again, be careful what you wish for, but you can count on that, Dr. Baker. Thanks so much. All right, everybody, there you go. That's the bookend on the Crush 2021 theme of Talent and Talent ID. So many great conversations in this series. Again, you can go back to our website, crushperformance.com, and find them on our podcast page. Every episode in our Talent and Talent ID series is there. And trust me, it is just an incredible sharing of knowledge. I want to thank everybody who participated for sure. Coming up next week, we are going to bookend the Crush Brain Game, the second major theme for 2021 with Dr. Martin Moraz, a clinical neuropsychologist from the University of Alberta. It is going to be a tremendous conversation as we will really define and lay out and position the brain game as a top priority in human performance. I really do believe after the conversations uh, through this last year that we've underestimated where we address the crushed brain game, but also in how we define it. It is a massive undertaking 
that conversation is going to continue for sure. And then we'll also set up our very first episode on our 2022 theme, organizational and team performance. I can't wait. And until then, I hope you guys can get out there, have a little fun, stay safe, but most of all, get better. We'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I feel like we get to this point in our journey where all of a sudden the experts who have actually had the balls to step forward and say anything, their entire lives go under a microscope by the same people that they've been supporting for months and months and months with truthful data and information. So now all of a sudden there's this anti Malone crew who's been out like raising questions about his past and the things he's done and who he's worked for. Obviously he's done all those things in his past. He's not like been awake for very long people. This has kind of just shook him out. He said he's been multidimensionally red pilled the things that he did before he was. I don't give a crap about them. He you is- can't, you, you can't pay attention to the, the purity spirals, the people of the pure, the people who go into these purity spirals where nobody's good enough. And they, they, they are the arbiters of what is a, uh, a pure, Oh, everybody loves saying it. May, I, I think that people think it makes them seem like they're really uh, more discerning than the average person yeah. to think that everybody's controlled opposition. Everyone. See, yeah, there are some accounts out there with tons of followers right now that all they do is pick different people every day to attack. If they didn't do that, they'd have no chat. They have no no presence. I guess Gert Vandenbosch is controlled opposition too. Absolutely. I mean, he worked he worked for uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, and he and was one of the first people that came out and said, "Please don't do this." Doctor Yeadon as well. He used to work for Pfizer. He did a deal with them no less than four years ago. We should go Obviously. after him. You know, obviously controlled opposition. Anyone who got the vaccine, how could you trust them? They did it themselves. Well, that to me is a more qualifying answer. Like you went out and got it because you thought it'd be great. But then you learned something different. And now you're saying don't do it. I mean, what the hell? Stop it, everyone out there. It's one thing if somebody's committed a crime or have been arrested and like convicted of something. And even then, I'm not saying I I'm not saying you should give people who have been criminals a pass. But even then. People get put into crap circumstances sometimes that are outside of their control. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.